So tonight's the big night. Tonight is uh, Halloween. We're going to be having our trunk or treating, hopefully out here. We're going to be giving away a lot of candy and welcoming a lot of people. Now, you know, anytime you're giving away candy to kids, you've got to make sure it's safe. So someone's got to test the candy. And I'm pretty good at testing candy. I'm really good at testing uh, Nestle Crunch Bars. I'm really good at that. I'm, I'm really good at testing Snickers Bars. I'm good at testing Melinda's cookies also. Thank you so much for those. Uh, and I'm, I'm excellent at testing peanut butter cups. Those are, those are some of my favorite ones to test. Uh, so we all, we've got to test those, make sure that they're okay. Uh, every year, I don't know if you watch Jimmy Kimmel, but every year Jimmy Kimmel has this challenge that he asks parents to help him with. He tells parents that the day after Halloween, he wants them to tell their kids that in the middle of the night they got really hungry and they accidentally ate all of their Halloween candy. And he says, videotape the kids, you know, record them on your phone and send those to us. When you tell your kids that you ate all their Halloween candy and they don't have any more, we want to see what the response is. Well, last year being 2020, I don't know if you remember 2020, but it was kind of crazy. Jimmy decided they weren't going to do that. And parents went ahead and did it anyway uh, without asking. So I want to show you just a quick clip of this. These are some kids uh, being told on November 1st that their parents ate all of their Halloween candy. Look at the awesome attitude of some of these kids. Some bad news. What? Me and Dad got really hungry and we ate all of your Halloween candy. Are y'all mad at Daddy? What's wrong? Nobody ate your candy. It's in the closet. Sorry, sweetheart. It's okay. It's okay. I ate all of your Halloween candy. Sorry. It's okay, mommy. I always can say you. It was mine. We ate it. It was special. <laughs> We just pretended. We didn't really eat it all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? I love those attitudes that came through. I remember a lot of my friends having, uh, having brothers and sisters about the same age. I had friends who would have to guard their candy and make sure that, uh, that their candy wasn't eaten. I never had to worry about that. My, my brothers and sisters were all older and they left me alone mostly. Uh, Mom, I had to buy off. If I had milk duds, I had to give those to mom and maybe another candy bar or two, and mom would be bought off for the year. But you know, you get your Halloween candy, you get your treasure, and you have to guard it. You have to hold on to it. You have to make sure you don't tell people how much you got, and you hold on to that Halloween treasure because it has to last until Christmas. It has to last until the stocking comes. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. 
Paul's going to remind the Philippians over and over again in this letter that they need to rejoice in the Lord. He says, it's no trouble for me to write that. And he says, it is safe for you. The NIV actually used the word safeguard. It is a safeguard for you. In the old Phillips translation, it said, it is a safeguard for your soul. Rejoicing joy is a safeguard for your soul. I like that. You know, Paul, all through this letter, he's given some warnings. He's given the Philippians some warnings about some of their selfish attitudes. He's given them some warnings about the grumbling that they've done. And here, he's starting to give them warnings about some troubles that are coming to them from outside the church, some troubles that other people are causing. Verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And Paul is saying that rejoicing is one of the ways to combat these problems, these divisions, these grumblings, not just the attacks from the inside, but also the attacks from the outside as well. And he's saying that you should guard your heart, guard your attitude with joy. We're going to be in Philippians 3, 1 through 11. If you use those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 981. And there are those who would love to steal your joy. They would love to steal that spark that, that is a part of your faith. The Philippians. For the Philippians, the threat was, well, the threat was a very specific set of people. A very specific mindset from a very specific set of people who were causing problems for the church. There were those that wanted them to go back and keep the Old Testament law. And they thought that if you were going to follow Jesus, you had to keep the Old Testament law. And that meant that these, these men who had, become, who had given their life to Christ, that they would have to go back and be circumcised. My guess is that's not a big temptation for us today, right? I don't think that's been a big concern for any of us. But the danger is still there that the faith that you love, the faith that shapes you, the faith that should fill you with joy can be stolen from you. Or even worse, you may just lay it down. You may just give it up. How do you safeguard your faith? Paul says that you do so with joy. You see, if, if your faith is not a joy, if your faith is not a joy, it will become a chore. I want to read verse 1 again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. I think about the idea of a safe, of having a, a lockbox or having a safe maybe in your home. What are some of the things that people, you, this is audience participation time, what are some things that people keep in safes? What do you keep in a safe? Passports. Thank you. Very good. Anything else? Gerald says money. You got birth certificates in yours. Anything else? Titles. I've got a bunch of car I even have car titles that don't belong to me in mine for some reason. Don't ask me why. Anything else? Mortgage papers. You know, it, it was just a few weeks ago or a few months ago that I finally threw away our mortgage papers. We haven't owned a house in 15 years, and yet my mindset was such that I said, those papers are important. I knew those papers were important at one time, and I finally dug through our lockbox saying, why am I still holding on to these? Why do I still have these? Well, in my head, they were always going to be important. So people put important things in their lockbox, maybe money, maybe passports, birth certificates, uh, titles, other things that are important, things that are valuable, things that if you lose, if you lose them, it's going to be hard for you to replace or it might even be impossible to replace. 
So hear what Paul says again. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe. It's like a safe. It locks up those things that are important. It is safe to you. It's not about losing your faith in Jesus. It's not about losing your salvation. It's not about losing your way to heaven, your promise of heaven. It's about losing your joy, because without your joy, your faith will become a chore. Without joy, your faith will become a list of all the things that you have to do and all the things that you shouldn't do, all your can-dos and all your can't-dos. Without joy, it's not so much a matter of your faith being stolen. You may just go ahead and give your faith away. Paul goes on and he says in verses 2 through 6, he says, look out for the dogs. And by the way, those aren't your cute little pet dogs that you have at your home. He's talking about about mangy mongrel dogs, the scavengers that are out there that just look to to nip and bite, and they're going to destroy you. Maybe that is your dog, I don't know. Uh, He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then he says, we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And in those verses right there, Paul recounts his pedigree as a Jewish man. He had done everything right. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's when the law of Moses said a Jewish boy should be be circumcised. On the eighth day, Paul could trace his lineage, his Jewish heritage, not just back to grandpa or great-grandpa or great-great-grandpa. Paul could trace his lineage all the way back to the eighth son of Jacob, the eighth son of Israel and the promises that were made to Benjamin and to to Benjamin's father and the promises made to, to Abraham. And it wasn't just that Paul had done all of those things right or had those things done for him, but it was the way that Paul lived out his faith. He says, I lived out my faith flawlessly, blamelessly. Again, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, I was blameless. Every time I read verse 6, I always think about a man that we meet in the Gospels. We call him the rich young ruler. In Mark chapter 10, this rich young man comes to Jesus, and in verse 17, he asks, the te- he asks Jesus, good teacher, he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he starts listing the commandments. This man says in response to Jesus, he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. I have kept every one of the commandments since my youth. But here's something of the Apostle Paul in that. Apostle Paul says, the way I kept the law, I was blameless. I was flawless. I did it perfectly. Verse 21 in Mark 10 tells us that Jesus looked at this man and loved him. It's like this man has done everything right. This man obviously loves the law of God. And then Jesus had to say to him, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell everything that you have. Give the money to the poor and then come back and follow me, and then you will have treasures in heaven. You probably know the rest of the story. He went away sad because he had many possessions, and he couldn't do that. Jesus asked him to 
to give away the things that he had been keeping safe in him. Paul would say he's put the wrong stuff in his safe. Don't put your, don't put your hope in yourself. What's in your safe? I know it's easy to look at Paul's list. <laughs> Circumcision, keeping the law, all these things that Paul mentions. It's easy to look at this list and say, well, these things just don't apply to us. I mean, we know better. We know salvation is not about circumcision. It's not about law-keeping. But do we really know better? How often do we find ourselves trusting in the things that we have done? How often do we find ourselves trusting our salvation because of the things that we've done right? And other people haven't done those things right. I, I deserve salvation because I did these things right. I go to church, or I at least watch on the live stream. I give my money. I do this, I do that, and I don't do all of those things that other people are doing. But all of those things have the potential of becoming chores to us, mere duties. And, and at that point, it's so easy to let the joy of knowing Jesus and of loving him just be sucked right out of the experience. And it's less about someone stealing your joy, stealing your faith, than it is about us simply throwing it away. And so Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, it's no trouble for me to write this. And it's not the last time he's going to write, rejoice in the Lord. He's going to write it again and again. And that's okay. The call is to hold tight to your joy and to protect your joy by remembering who gave you your joy to protect your joy by remembering who gave it to you. Paul says that he had done everything perfectly. He had every advantage that a Jewish man could have. But there came a point when he realized none of that could save him, and none of it contained joy. Now, had Paul been satisfied with who he was? I think he had been at one time. Was Paul dedicated? Absolutely, Paul was dedicated. But it became a chore. And in order to find Jesus, in order to place Jesus at the center of his life, Paul had to tear the whole thing down. He had to deconstruct the life that he had carefully built so that he could find Jesus. Listen to what Paul writes in verses 7 through 9. He says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. And indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what's it going to cost Paul to hold on to his joy? He says it's going to cost him everything. It's going to cost him his status as a Jewish man. It's going to cost him his status in society as a Hebrew of Hebrew, as a, as a Pharisee. It's going to cost him his reputation. It's going to cost him everything that he has worked for. But there came a point in Paul's life when he said, all those things I used to hold on to so tightly, those things that defined me, he says, those, those things that told me I had worth and that I was a good person, those things are worthless. And they don't belong on the mantle. They don't belong in a safe. They belong in the garbage. So little Ruby arrived at 3.53 this morning. And I'm already getting used to the idea of being a grandpa, finally. And I think I'm going to be pretty good at it. I think I'm going to be pretty good at, at being a grandpa. I, 
I, I think I, I haven't met Ruby yet, but I think we're going to get along all right. You know, what's not to like of me, right? You know, she's going to like me fine. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing the grandpa stuff. I'm even looking forward to doing something I haven't done in a very long time. I'm looking forward to being able to change diapers. And I have to tell you, I used to be pretty good at it. So, you know, I feel like I probably still got the, still got the knack. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that first time when it's grandpa's turn to change little Ruby's diaper. And I just know that I'm going to walk up to the changing table while she's laying there. And I'm going to say, what did you make grandpa? What did you bring here? Look what you made for Grandpa. Daddy's so precious. And I'm going to take the diaper that I've just taken off of her. I'm going to clean her up. I'm going to wrap it all up. And I'm going to put it in our safe at home because it's precious. No. No, it's going in the trash because that's where it belongs. It belongs in the trash. The memory of it, I will hold that as precious, right? The memory, not the smell and not the actual diaper itself, but the memory of being able to care for my granddaughter. That will be precious, and I will hold on to that. But the diaper itself, that belongs in the trash. I want you to hear what Paul says again in verse 8. I count loss. I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What things does Paul count as rubbish? His pedigree as a Jew, his effort at keeping the law, his commitment to perfection. Paul says those things are rubbish. That's what my translation says. But make no mistake, the word that Paul's using there, it is the word for what's going to be in Ruby's diaper when Grandpa changes her diaper. The Greek word, if you're interested in those kind of things, the Greek word is skubalon. And it is not a polite word. Skubalon starts with an S. And it's very similar to an English word that we have that also starts with an S. It does not quite mean rubbish. It means something a little bit more than rubbish. That's the word that Paul is using here. It's not just garbage. It is repulsive to us. And it's a call to be aware that there are some things that we hold on to that may not be worth holding on to. And even worse, we've taught other people to hold on to these things. And they're not worth holding on to. They, they should have been flushed. I gotta tell you, it's as I look around and I look at other churches and I look at what's going on in our world today, it is very concerning to see how many young people are just walking away from the church. You know, how many young people are, are just gone? They're walking away from the church. They're walking away from faith. We call it the rise of the nuns. Now, that's not N-U-N-S, nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Because when you ask these young people what their religious background is, they don't say, well, I used to go to a youth group, I used to go to the Christian church, or I was raised Methodist, or my family are Baptists. They say, when asked what their religious affiliation is, they say, none. I have no faith at all. It's very concerning, especially when you consider the investments that churches made in youth ministry over the past decades. I mean, we, we all, so many churches invested so much in the youth. We had huge min youth ministries. We had huge events. We had parties. We had games. We had youth conferences where kids went and had fun. We had youth conferences that were serious. We had these intense calls to purity. 
But I see family after family, faithful families that are suddenly torn apart because the kids are leaving the church and they're not coming back. And I think about it. And I think, I think maybe we did a great job of teaching kids how to avoid sin. But we didn't do such a great job of teaching them how to love Jesus. I think we did a great job of giving them a list of do's and don'ts. But we didn't really show them what it meant to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, all those things. We gave them lists of what not to do. We never taught them how to love Jesus. We never taught them how to have a relationship with him. Listen to verse 10. Paul says that I may know him, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. That's Paul's goal, that I may know him. He wants to replace all that rubbish that needs to be flushed uh, with, with knowing Jesus. Well, how are you going to do that? How are you and I going to do that? And how are we going to teach other people how to do that? I think, it all, I think a great place to start is back in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, you put yourself in a position where you get to serve other people like Jesus. You put yourself in a position where other people get to serve you like they would serve Jesus. You look at great examples like what Paul has given us, the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, people who served like they were family and and served like they were fellow soldiers. And then there's also that personal commitment that Paul is telling us about here of laying aside everything that's not not, not worth holding on to, even some things that maybe in the past you really loved those things, even things that some very well-meaning people who taught you, they taught you that those things were important, things that you treasured, but they became a chore instead of a joy. Look again at verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This became Paul's goal, to know Jesus above all else, even if that meant knowing him in his death. That's a reflection, really, of what Paul wrote earlier in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I will know Jesus by setting aside everything that is not of him. And if I die, then as I die, I will seek him, no matter the cost. Protect your joy by remembering who gave it to you, that Jesus gave you your joy. You hear that in Paul's ultimate goal, that I may know him, that I may know Jesus. Paul's goal is not that I may know that I've been good. Paul's goal is not that I may know that I'm going to heaven. That above all else, he says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the one who gave me this joy, the one who emptied his life to fill my life with himself, to show me his love. When that is your joy, No one can steal that from you. And when that is your joy, you will never lay it down. We're going to share communion here in just a moment. We're going to share a song that reflects much of what we've heard here in Philippians chapter 3. I did a funeral recently for a man who'd had a a fairly impressive life. 
In fact, his life was so impressive that he had to write his own obituary, make sure it got written right. His obituary was five pages long in my notebook. That's pretty long. His obituary was filled with accomplishments that he had, all the things that he had done, awards that he had won. And I was impressed. And then I looked through the obituary again, and there was not one mention of faith in that obituary. There was not one mention of commitment to Christ. There was not even a mention of of any relationship, of any faith background at all. All those things that he held on to, scubalon, they're all worthless, and they're all gone. Let's make sure what we hold on to is worth holding on to. And let's make sure that it gives us true joy. Let me pray, and then we'll sing this song and we'll take together. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you so much for the, the hope that we have in you. But even more than that, we thank you for the joy that we know because of your son, because we know your son. Lord, there are things that we've held on, onto tightly. And sometimes those things have been taught to us by people who loved us and taught us to hold on to those. But Lord, as we come closer to Jesus, so many of those things just lose their luster and, and we realize that they are not the source of joy. If anything, sometimes they steal our joy. And so we come again to your son, desiring to know him and to know him only. Lord, we've got some difficult decisions for each one of us and the things that we need to lay aside so that we might know your son. Would you open our heart up to knowing him all the more so that we might truly know what's worth holding on to in life. We thank you for the bread that represents the body. We thank you for the cup that represents his blood. We thank you that when, when Jesus came close to us, he let go of those things so that he might truly know us and so that we might truly know him. We thank you for the promise that comes through everything that he laid down. And as we lay our lives down, I pray we would know the joy that was set before him as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.